News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC. I'm Harry Siegel here with Professor Christina Greer, Alex Brooklyn, Adam Kamara, and joining us in a moment, Dave Colon. Smell it. Um, who will be talking with us about bikes. Before we get there, a lot happened this week and a lot's coming up in New York worth uh, quickly talking about. Let's start with uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio, who back when he was on speaking terms with this podcast said, I can't stay silent about uh, a corporation that created in large measure, the modern political environment. I have said it very clearly, there's no Donald Trump, in my view, as president of the United States, without News Corp. Uh, What's happening to the media, the horrible threats against members of the media, goes back, in my view, to the work of News Corp over decades to create a negative environment. Well, tonight, he's going to be talking on Fox with Sean Hannity. We're recording this Wednesday morning. Uh, We'll add a little bit of his audio from that interview after it airs. Hmm. Meantime, Chrissy, Andrew Cuomo is uh, talking stuff about uh, Bill de Blasio and the NYPD, is he not? Oh, what else is new? These two. Um, so, yeah, we've got Andrew Cuomo, who's essentially trying to goad police officers into being more aggressive. He against literally the called war. them impotent. He called the NYPD impotent in an attempt to, like, poke at Bill de Blasio during, you know, a week where we're trying to de-escalate a situation, we're trying to de-escalate we're every situation, off of right? Pantaleo um, and the death of Eric Garner. I, I wish we could just print out all Cuomo speeches, bind them, and basically have like a Queen's Harlequin romance because he uses so much sexual imagery whenever he <laughs> speaks. It's just, it's you know, it's short of like heaving bosom. Right. I mean, he's always talking about some sort of penis imagery, whether it's planes, airports, police officers, cars, you I mean, name it. It's he, the weirdest. He was most talking about these two cops that like got doused with water by a bunch of kids. Maybe some of them aren't kids. Maybe some of them are older teens. And they just walked away. And then he's pretty much trying to shame the NYPD. My question is, was it really so bad that like this one time some cops just like walked away and tried to think first before no, they acted? No, no, no. You had a large, very aggressive group being like, get the fuck out of here which is if you want to be able to call police who had been dousing people in the neighborhood first who called the police. So if you want police to respond to that and be able to do something, if you're a citizen who's like, this is scary. They just like, like threw buckets of water into my store. I'm 60 and they're doing this as I walk by. There's supposed to be a response. Those officers didn't tell anyone about what had happened. The answer to this is not, as various background members of the NYPD said, you know, if somebody did that to me, they'd be lying on the ground unconscious. Right. No, we the don't want that. Also we don't not, want that. But we also know the NYPD struggles with there's there's some gray areas. We don't have to go correct. between walk away and do absolutely nothing and then chokehold and or shoot people. In but 41 that's what right. we don't need a 41 the choice shots. to be. Well, I mean, because Pat Lynch is just a brute. But Pat, Pat, Pat Lynch did an operatic thing where he said the criminal advocates are going to win and we're, we're just going to have police officers hugging thugs, hug a thug, quote. Oh, um, that Lynch in is such a well. Well, well, he was tying the two things together. He, 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 
which he's been very actively doing, as as Ed Mullins of the other the Sergeants Union. Um, so this is all this is all crazy. De Blasio is between a rock and a hard and a hard place that he's been in for of five years, making. entirely of his own making, because he lacks the courage of his own convictions. So Cuomo's trying to score some cheap points here by saying he's the man's man. And when water pours down on people, he so will make the, the, the women's bosoms quiver. Uh, uh, so I just guy. think it's dangerous to goad the NYPD in, uh, in August. To say, let's, let's be more aggressive. Yeah. yeah. Let's slow down on that. And then the Republicans who are thankfully in the minority in the state Senate want to make it a, a crime to, uh, to pour water on police officers. Um, Why do we make it a crime to choke people out? Let's start with that one. Can we make that one a crime? Well, or, it is against departmental policy. Which no one clearly has read because they're still parking in bike lanes. Yeah, which no one has clearly read and which doesn't entirely matter. And this is something I've asked uh, the last several heads of DCPI, hey, Phil Walzak, about is why is there not a queer – Wikipedia-like listing of the patrol guide online in full so that when members of the NYPD say this is policy, right? This isn't a hidden document. It's a public one. It Citizens can say actually. Um, what, what, well, the policy had been this. The policy changed at this point. Same with the advisories that go out to officers. The idea that this is semi-public information but the NYPD in effect controls which parts of it we see while treating it as though it was legally binding, like like de Blasio does when he says we've had a trial now, referring to the administrative policy trial mm-hmm. for Pantaleo five years later. For instance, where is the diagram on the seat – what was it? A seatbelt hold instead of a chokehold? What oh, was that? Right. Pantaleo, yeah. oh, Pantaleo yeah. decided that this was a seatbelt hold that – Apparently no one's ever heard of before. Well, you know, he's got a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of pension so he can sit there and figure out which one it is. He's been paid about half a million dollars since Eric Garner was killed. And this is, you know, this is all – de Blasio could have nipped this in the bud. And P.S., you know, I've said this before and I'm sorry about the deviation, but how dare you get on international television and try and punt this issue to Joe Biden? And say, well, I've spoken to the family. Like de Blasio, you know better. You have essentially submitted a book report with a title and all the pages are blank. You've done zero work on this. And I'm so disappointed and disgusted as a New Yorker that you would actually say, well, my hands were tied. It was the federal government. And it's Scott Stringer that, that gave the family the money, on national right? TV. That's right. It was Stringer who decided to pay out in advance of the resolution of the rest of this with de Blasio resisting mm-hmm. this. Gwen Carr, as de Blasio is saying, I've spoken with the family, is saying this has been five years of de Blasio and the NYPD putting out out roadblocks. She's dealing with the death of her husband. And granddaughter. Mm Mm-hmm. And son. Still. So so the the, the Garner family has been through a lot and uh, de Blasio has continued to use them more or less as propaganda. Staying briefly with justice reform – Melinda Katz, um, maybe maybe she knew what she was doing and dodging our form and not having more people hear her speak. Less is more, I guess. So Tiffany Caban has now conceded in this lengthy recount process of what was fundamentally a tied election, um, meaning that Melinda Katz is now the Democratic nominee and a presumptive next district attorney of Queens, uh, the longtime borough president and former uh, partner of uh, Guardian Angels, Curtis Sliwa, um, and somebody with uh, no uh, with administrative experience but no no legal experience. Frankly, having followed this race somewhat closely, having moderated that form and having the sense that the command was very impressive was uh, 
profoundly underqualified for to run an office of that 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 size as a working public defender. I think they're worse things than having the political hack um, with the experienced political hack with tremendous pressure on her to uh, to show herself to be a real reformer in the office. But uh, yeah, I agree. I, I also, though, think that Caban can take this as a victory, right? I mean, the fact that it was never supposed to be this close, it was never supposed to be a run, you know, a, a sort of a legal battle. Um, and obviously, Katz didn't take it seriously. I mean, we saw that city and state cover where Katz in the bag. It's, like, it's actually not. So I think Caban can take this as a win in some some way. What she decides to do with this kind of political energy will be interesting because her movement could certainly a, take this as a win yeah. Wh- whatever happens with 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 her as a well one. if she says that she represents the movement then mm-hmm. hopefully she'll take this as a version of a win but i you know i'm curious to see if this, these wins will translate over to the manhattan da's race if they'll translate into the queens borough president races and see how this shakes out especially by 2021 when we know that everyone and their grandmother will be on the ballot I'm except for Chris Vance does not a I'm going to write you in, Christina Greer. Please um, do not write me in. <laughs> if elected, no interest. will you serve? <laughs> I will not. <laughs> so, I will so, appoint Harry Vance, Siegel. <laughs> who ran unopposed in his last cycle effectively in this sort of uh, Charlie, uh, Joe Charlie Hines way where, where resistance is building but no one quite wants to step up suddenly has a queue of people mm-hmm. coming in against him and seems like he's really eager to show his, no, no, I am going to go after Trump world right. people. I am going to do reform Too bona fides. little, period. Too late, exclamation point. You are currently in the crosshairs of Christina Greer and you shall be ousted. Like – I am so disappointed in Cy Vance and his inaction and inability to do his job and coasting into a re-election because he didn't have an opponent. And at the final hour, people were like, wait a minute. This is why we need to actually have competitive elections. So Cy Vance, insert uh, ticking clock right here, Adam. <laughs> so thank you. We are also going to have uh, Victoria B. Kempis in the courts today talking about R. Kelly and unpacking that for us. But first. Insert smooth transition. Oh, and also. Oh. Damn it, Carrie. Sorry. Carrie. Chrissy. <laughs> Carrie. Christine. Uh, Chris Justine. What? Um, quick moment Whoa. of silence for Joan Morrison, who passed away at age 88. And as a New Yorker um, at different points in time, she was also a lifelong trustee of the New York Public Library and obviously supported our public libraries and reading and just a larger intellectual upgrade of understanding life, cities, race, gender, democracy, you name it. So... Shout out to Toni Morrison. And and speaking of damage that builds up over generations, um, which is one of uh, Morrison's really significant themes, something big is happening in New York with the Child Victims Act, which after 13 years of not passing, that resistance being led by the uh, Catholic Church has made it through the suddenly blue legislature. And starting next week, um, there's going to be a very new model here where first off, child victims of sexual abuse can seek prosecution against their abusers in civil cases up till the age of 55. Adult victims of child sexual abuse. Adult victims of child sexual abuse will have until 55 to go after their abusers. Previously, it had been 23. Um, They have now until they turn 28 to seek criminal prosecution. And there's going to be a one-year window, a trial attorney bonanza, Part of why the Catholic Church fought this for so long, so fiercely, in which victims of any age, 
no matter when they were abused, can come forward to seek prosecution. This is going to be a big shift. So be a huge shift because as we spoke about before, Chrissy, on one of our uh, episodes, consent at a young age is na- is so often argued by a lot of these like shitty men. What is the nature of consent between twelve and fifteen, et cetera, it's et cetera? Rape. It's called rape. So the what what are what is the media calling it that we took issue with? Oh, it's uh, underage sexual encounters. No, no, or sexual it's, it's sexual encounters sex with underage with underage, underage girls. Women. Sex oh, women, with underage right. women, right? Not sex rape. with underage women's called rape. People, if you're having sex with anyone under the age of eighteen, and or depending on the state, but fine, just. For the sake of argument, we can say 12 to 16 or whatever age to 16. It's called R-A-P-E, okay? So let's stop with the, you know, it's sort of like, oh, uh, there were some racial tensions. Uh, you mean like people killing other people based solely based on, race? on the race, right. racism? Um, <laughs> having sex with underage women is called rape. So Epstein. Underage women are also called Kelly. children. Right. Well, I mean, well, yeah. Yeah. Listen, I was about to go on a massive tangent. But we will be hearing from Victoria B. Kempis at the end of this episode on In the Courts unpacking the R. Kelly case for us. Which brings us to Dave Colon. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, Dave. Hello. Welcome, Dave. Hello. It's great to be here. Just one question. Do you hate me for having a Cadillac? No, of course I don't. I listened to your episode of The War on Cars. It was really good. And you were extremely reasonable as someone who, you know, you didn't just yell at them. Who drives a Cadillac that gets two miles to the gallon, (laughs) steals our parking. And how often do you Dutch reach? I literally keep it parked and just sit in it twice a week for alternate side parking so that I use it as a little office. It's more of like a location. I get my parking for free because nobody charges parking. It's like the Wild West in New York. And like it will break eventually. Right now it's at the mechanic in Yonkers. Yeah, no, listen, if if you are an FAQ listener and you haven't listened to Alex's episode, of the war on cars it's great stuff it's a very very interesting uh, chat with the new york city car owner or if you see her in her car just tap on the window and say hello so let's talk <laughs> dave thanks for joining us i'm hoping you can uh give our listeners sort of the the, the big picture about the uh, state of uh, bikes and lanes and cars in new york right now and then maybe also talk about your own experience as a biker oh sure yeah, no problem. Uh, happy to do that. Begin. Um, so I think the first thing and the most important thing when you talk about transportation policy in the city, and that includes bikes and cars and trains and buses and everything, is there's just too many fucking cars. Like that's the number one thing that is going on in the city right now is there are too many fucking cars. And if you – like the mayor, unfortunately, don't start from that position, you are going to have something where, you know, last year we only had uh, 10 cyclists who were killed and uh, there were also uh, like record low number of pedestrian deaths. It's going to look like a blip, which it looks like right now because 10 doesn't look anything close to what we had in 2017 and it's nothing close to what we have now in 2019. It's 18 so far in yes. 2019, two-thirds of the way through the year. Yeah. And, you know, it's not – we're not done with peak bike season. Once you got to about, you know, 9 or 10 before it really even warmed up, you just knew it was going to be a bad year because people – it gets warmer. People are on their bikes even more. You know, beyond the 
year-round people beyond the delivery riders uh, who ride no matter what. The year kicked off literally on January 1st. A delivery rider in Sunset Park got doored and got killed. Like that was you. I woke up and I saw that and you're just – so when you when you had a lot, when it was cold out and before it was really riding season, you knew it was going to be really bad. So when you say it's too many cars, what – like we know that there are roughly 9 million people here. Like how – do we know how many cars are here? Do we know – it's it's how the city like, apparently what the would look like if right if we the city apparently doesn't count the amount of cars physically in the city. It's very difficult to do, mm-hmm. or or I guess they, I actually don't know how difficult it is to do. They they, they, they just choose don't, not to do it. I mean, they, hey, yeah, they just don't have. We put they a man on the moon. Done. I think we can count some cars. Sure. But, yes. Go ahead. Uh, we do count the amount of uh, vehicle miles traveled uh, by by trucks, by buses, by passenger cars, and the amount of vehicle miles traveled by passenger cars has gone up slightly uh, from, uh, you know, during the de Blasio administration uh, and from up from 2005. The city keeps, uh, you know, it's part of our greenhouse gas emissions calculator. Mm-hmm. So they keep that. And we're up to about 20 billion miles uh, per year. We were and at 19 increase, billion miles. It's not... Is that due to increase in ride shares and more people relying on I think that in Uber and part, and like a little that. bit of has come from that, but it's not entirely that. I mean, you know, our population goes up mm-hmm. and people move here. And they move here with cars because they don't think about it. They just, you know, you come from wherever you come from. You bring your car. That's what you're used to. So you bring it. And, uh, you know, the issue is that even before the popul- our population was rising, there was gridlock. There was, uh, you know, it was impossible to find parking. There was a Seinfeld episode in 1992 that was entirely centered around not finding a parking spot. <laughs> and you might notice that it's not as if the city was full of bike lanes back then. Mm-hmm. So when people say – Oh, there's too many bike lanes. You're taking all our parking. Da, da, da. You have literally not ever had a time in New York City when you could find a parking spot. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe when Robert Moses was just starting out, Ugh. and and you know, cars really were for for exclusively wealthy people. And when he was building those highways, then you could do that. But you have not been able to park find a parking spot ever, and it's because there have always been too many people here, mm-hmm. or not too many people, just a lot of people. And cars take up a lot of space, uh, and you can't build you want to knock down a park and put up a parking garage like I did you know so so as people move here as they bring their cars here as they buy cars because you do things like neglect uh, the bus system mm-hmm. uh, you let the subway system fall apart and people will say to you you know I'd love to not have my car but oh I just can't trust the transit system certainly we have failed or the government has failed people in that respect. Um, well, especially in the outer boroughs. I mean, yes. For a lot of people, they feel like they must have a car because the bus and transportation systems just don't exist where right. they are. Or, and, and the unfortunate thing that happens there is you get this paradox where people then – where the, the city government will say, okay, we're going to bring you a bus lane. We're going to bring you select bus service. And these are things that are that that are proven to speed buses up and to make people get where they're going on the bus faster. But when people then people go, oh, but you're taking away my parking spots because, you know, merchants will say, you know, everybody comes to my store. They park. They park right in front of the store and then they shop here, which is usually they way overestimate. Merchants are, are notoriously they way overestimate how many people show up at their stores by car. And the, the DOT always has to show up with all of this data to show, no, you know, 3% of your customers come to your store 
with a with a personal car. The rest of them are taking the bus. It, it becomes the fight of, are we taking care of a large number of people who are trying to take the bus to get where they're going, or are we going to cater to people who go, if you take my parking spot away from the front of the synagogue, and this is something that happened in Brooklyn, somewhere around uh, in my neighborhood, uh, for I think the B35, they were going to put a bus lane in, or they are putting a bus lane in. People said... If you put a bus lane in here and you take away the parking spot in front of the synagogue, you're destroying the whole fabric of the synagogue. Because because what? Because you're going to take the subway? Right. You know, two blocks away, you're going to take the subway to, to shul now instead of driving on, on, on Shabbat? Like, I know I know it's Reformed Jews, and and so it's less funny that people are like, you. we drive here to, to Shabbat services every Saturday. Sure, yes, Reformed Judaism lets you do that, but it's still very funny right. for people to say, we can't drive to Shabbat now. Well, in some of the research we were doing, it said also that these bike lanes and bus lanes get caught up because uh, they get tied up in community board conversations and the DOT sort of acquiesces to community boards. And it seems a little bit anecdotal and not necessarily based on research. Is it that- is entirely anecdotal. When you go to I, – I have not been to as many – community board meetings about these things as uh, the the former streets blog Dave, Dave Meyer, uh, who was there before me, went to. But I have been to it's my share. Like, is this a Dread Pirate Roberts thing? It's kind of. Yeah, you get – there's going to be another Dave after me uh, probably who, uh, <laughs> who who takes my place. It's great. And is too many too many fucking cars than you? The rent is too damn high? That's my thing, certainly. He should have won. <laughs> he, listen, he was, he was a prophet. Like he told us. He wasn't wrong. <laughs> he was not wrong. wrong. The, the um, last time I saw him, he was just chilling in front of a very nice, like, uh, Alex Wynn-style 1970s car on 14th Street, not megaphoning, but holding a megaphone while playing with an action figure of himself, Jimmy so McMillan. if we represent. were on a bike, would we have would we have to put our hand up like we're sort of taking the oath? Because doesn't that mean we're making a right turn to deviate from <laughs> <laughs> street block? <laughs> now we're rinsed too damn high. Anyway. But it's true. So all of these things – are inevitably anecdotal because the DOT will show up with some poor bureaucrat who's not like a trained public speaker and they'll be in front of a PowerPoint presentation and they'll go, well, as you can see here, uh, we're taking away 40 parking spots, uh, but these are proven to uh, reduce crashes and improve safety for everybody who uses the road, including drivers and including pedestrians. It's not just cyclists. And people will stand up and they'll yell, you're taking my own personal parking spot that I, you know, got by birthright, which is, you know, like it, that's the attitude. That's I haven't heard anybody say specifically that. I did hear someone yell at a community board meeting once, I don't care about cyclists, I care about me. And that was for the uh, Sunnyside bike lanes uh, on uh, 34th uh, Avenue, uh, the ones that were very contentious about a year-long process that, yes, the DOT just kept thinking that they could get the community board to, you know, accept it. When once the prospect of losing parking spots came up, they just people just lost their minds. Despite originally, you know, Jimmy Van Bramer showed up and said, "We want protected bike lane over here because we've had somebody who was killed and we had somebody who was in a really serious crash, and and we know that these make the streets safer." The community board chair was at a rally and said, "We're going to make these as safe as humanly possible." And once she realized that, it meant when the DOT took their seriously and said, "Yeah, sure, here are great the." Protected bike lanes. This is what works. This is what keeps people from speeding. This is what keeps people from driving into bike lanes. This is what keeps people alive. She just completely turned her back on them. Basically, these people make the decision that parking spots 
and them getting to where they're going faster in their car is more important than human life. I mean, that's just the equation that you're playing with. And you can dress it up in whatever ways you want where you can say, but I need my car, but I need to bring my kids somewhere, but I need to do this or that. You are picking cars which kill people over any other way of getting around and that that don't kill people. So let me put you on the spot here for a minute. Sure. First, I'd like to, to hear about your own accident. Mm-hmm. Um, crash. Thank you. Always crash. So, and can you explain to our listeners the difference between accident and crash? So there was a very long, I think it was a transportation alternatives-led campaign to get uh, politicians and uh, the media and the public at large to stop referring to car crashes as car accidents. And the point behind that was to kind of drive home how serious they are and that there is not – it's not, oh, geez, I you know knocked this glass of water off the table. It's that you were most likely doing something negligent and you crashed your car into somebody. You didn't have an oopsie-daisy. These are the results of decisions that people make. Mm. And so it's not an accidental thing if you, you know, say there was a Daily News article from a couple of days ago where they said uh, – witnesses said that a driver was trying to uh, beat a red light and drove her car onto the sidewalk and hit three people and seriously injured one of them. And if you call that an accident, you suggest that it just came out of nowhere and that it wasn't the result of a series of decisions starting with, oh, I got to beat this light. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what what happens. You know, That's just one that stuck with me because in the story they said, you know, oh, and then the driver looked really shaken up. Like, yeah, no shit. Yeah. Like that's that's not an excuse for if you feel bad after you do this, that doesn't excuse what you just did. So saying, ah, geez, what an accident. You know, you get somebody's name wrong. If I came in here and I and I called you uh uh Justine. Justine instead of Christine, you know, uh. oops, accidentally. What are you? <laughs> there we go. I just made an accident, Christina. So that's that's just uh, uh brain fart or whatever. Driving a car into a human being is even if you Oh, I thought the car was in uh, in drive, but it was in reverse, and I backed into somebody. That's not an accident. That's a decision that you were not – you didn't make sure before you hit the gas on a car, on a two-ton machine. So something – so Harry asked you about your crash. Yes. Uh, and- eight years ago, I was uh, on my way home. Um, it was on my way home to – put down some stuff before I went to a Mets game. And that detail is important because I go to a Mets game every year now on or close to the date. And I don't remember what happened. According to what a witness who then disappeared and uh, D- like, Dave is wearing just very quickly a uh, Knicks jersey. Yes. Which jersey are you wearing? Latrell Sprewell. Yep. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and matching matching orange Glasses as he's here, he he, they, uh, he he likes the sad orange teams of New York. It's, uh, it's from the ba- uh, the baseball game. My friends made swag. <sighs> oh, oh, oh. Listen, this anyway, so I'm sorry. Let's go Mets. This podcast supports the Mets. Okay, like we are not Yankees fans here. I support this sad orange. I support. Yeah, I'm saying it. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I took things totally off. Track, no, that's but, quite all right. So, uh, eight years so ago. I was. The police report doesn't say this. All the police report says is. Oh, the driver uh, felt a thump under his car, and, you know, there I was. What my dad told me eventually was what, – and what the police, I guess, told him at first when I, when it happened was that 
I was going around a double parked car and this person knocked me down and like into traffic and someone else ran me over and the person who was double parked like just left. Um, that I, was the accident. What's that? That that was the accident. That was the crash. Um, and I broke my collarbone, my ankle, I cracked a tooth, I broke my eye socket, I had a concussion. I still have a pretty cool scar, but I had like road rash all down my back. I, it was really bad. It was so bad that despite the fact that Woodhull Hospital was a block away, the EMTs took me to Bellevue because that's how broken they thought I was. Um, Just a, no, Woodhall is a horrible, horrible hospital. It's it's not uh, an ideal place. Uh, my, so that's the worst time I ever got hit by a car. Um, and I guess in that instance, I was run over by one. Um, but, you know, these are things that I'm, I'm fortunate in the sense that I lived and that I didn't have any lasting damage. There are people who die. There are people who have really serious horrific damage that they, they can't get they can't get back on the bike you know right. I, it happened to me when i was young enough my bones were elastic enough or something i don't know that i was back on it uh you know by by december that year but is, is there uh, any data about say you know undocumented delivery guys who get into these accidents who can't go to the hospital and definitely don't want to report it at all you know on that i'm not Sure. I meant to talk to uh, somebody from the Biking Public Project um, before oh, I uh, – Can you tell us a little the bit? The Biking Public Project is an uh, organization that works for the rights of delivery riders um, You know who ride uh, e-bikes and are kind of at the bottom of the totem pole for a lot of New York City policymaking, um, including from our pro-immigrant mayor who has no problem telling the world how dangerous these people are despite the fact that there is no data. Mr. Vision Zero has no data to support this idea that uh, e-bike riders are significantly more dangerous than regular bike riders uh, or not even close. Forget drive, forget them being more dangerous than drivers. It's not close. Uh, but he has had no problem basically acceding to the just demands of what started with a white guy on the Upper West Side calling into uh, Brian Lair and saying, these people are out of control, and him saying, you're right, man, and we're going to work on this, and we're going to get the cops to crack down on these people. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Mayor, we did have a really good year last year when only 10 people died. So why wouldn't there have been maybe building on that success as opposed to waiting until 17 people died this Obviously, year to say this is a big I, you, priority? You are too intelligent to ask that question because you know that Vision Zero has been growing every year. Vision Zero for this year was a whole host of things are being added, including the additional speed cameras in the schools. So I've said more times than I can count, it's an ever-growing thing. It's going to be bigger next year, the year after, the year after, by definition. This crisis, because it's such a shock, made us feel there were things we had to do even more than we anticipated, and we're doing them. Lo and behold, it's been one of the few things he keeps saying over and over again that he just won't back down on, that... These are more dangerous people. And I want to say, because I've, I've had this argument with people, it's obviously unpleasant if somebody is driving an e-bike past you and they're going the wrong way down the street or they they buzz you while, you're, while they're going through a light. I'm not suggesting to you that it is not an unpleasant, that it's a pleasant thing. It's not. And, and It's rarely a fatal thing though. Exactly. You're looking at much lighter vehicles at mm -hmm. relatively low speeds. Exactly. When you talk about and a it, lot of undocumented people riding them while working for App X. Right. Bringing you your office lunch. Yes. It is 
It's a function of a lot of different things, and I've heard people say, you know, oh, why do all these uh, cycling advocates go to bat for, you know, like people who are doing the work of seamless? And it's like, well, if you, it's great that you don't do takeout, man. Like, it's not that that that's a wonderful choice that you make, but there are a lot of people who do do it, and there's a lot of demand for it. And if you want it, I uh, sent Alex the video. There was a town hall meeting in Flushing two years ago. Where, you know, the mayor was just doing a regular old town hall, but a delivery rider showed up, uh, a lot of them showed up, and one of their advocates asked a question and said, why are you cracking down on us? Why are you doing this? This is what we need to live. This is how we get by in life. And the mayor said, well, you know, you could get a regular bike or you could get a car. Let them eat cake. Even, I said, why are you telling people to get a car? Why would you tell these people to get cars. It goes right back to my entire thing. The mayor came in with with big ideas on a lot of things. He came in with no good car reduction ideas. Nothing. And so so this mayor. That's a whole nother episode. <laughs> He's in the hot seat with Chrissy Greer. But so can you walk our listeners through really briefly like what exactly is his Vision Zero plan? And where does the city council stand right now in trying to work with or against the mayor's kind of loosey-goosey policy on this? Sure. So, and can you highlight any possible, you know, we know a few people are sniffing around 2021. It seems as though they're the ones who are the most vocal about bikes and changes. Yes, yes. So Vision Zero is a big idea, and it's a great idea on the mayor's part. And it's he didn't invent Vision Zero, uh, but... It, narrator voice. Vision Zero. Is a an attempt to get the number of traffic deaths, uh, pedestrians, drivers, cyclists, what have you, down to zero people in a year. And it's a great idea for a policy. People shouldn't die just because they're trying to get from one place to the next. Uh, and it involves things like road diets, you know, the narrowing a road. It involves things like putting in bike lanes. It involves lowering the speed limit. It involves the right-of-way law, the law that says you can't uh, just turn your car through a crosswalk while someone has the right-of-way mm-hmm. to go through, uh, which, as I was biking up Bedford Avenue, I saw a guy in an SUV just whoa, right almost left hook a person because he had to make the light right. because he had some space and, you know, he... I he he I went past him and I kind of gave him a like what the fuck dude and he oh I didn't do anything wrong like so so the right of way law part of Vision Zero um, all of these things that essentially try to get people to drive more carefully what it has never really focused on was how to reduce the amount of driving in the aggregate and that and, but is, isn't it also a cultural shift like don't I feel like we just have to change. A culture, and I don't know how to do that. But like when you think of someplace like Berlin or Bogota, like they have a culture where it's like they have designated lanes. People know not to do it. You know, you're shamed. You know, like everyone, people on the sidewalk will publicly shame you if you're double parked in a bike lane or if you get over, you know, you drive into a bike or a bus Mm -hmm. lane. How do we shift this culture? I mean, because policy doesn't seem to be doing it. You know, I I think that to a degree, policy has helped. You know, things like the right-of-way law okay. do help. You know, bike lanes are are a part of policy. That's a policy decision you make to say, we're going to take a piece of the street and give it to cyclists. And we saw what happened at first when you talk about culture. You know, 
uh, Pete Hamill or either Pete or Dennis, I can't uh, recall, but they wrote uh, their, you know, Daily News column where it was like, oh, these namby-pamby cyclists and, you know, it's like 2011, I found this old post doing like a takedown Mm -hmm. of it. I used to ride in the street with no bike lane and they're all just like people made, they're all just wusses and people are just going to rebel against this. People made all these grandiose claims that city bike would destroy New York City and that Bloomberg, uh, yes, there it is, the hypocrisy of, yes, it was a streets blog uh, post, uh, Dennis Hamill, uh, where they, but people made all these grandiose claims. Spike lanes is going to destroy New York. Bloomberg's pedestrian plazas are going to destroy New York. And they didn't. And people have gotten over that. And so that has helped shift the culture a little bit. And what it means is you just have to keep chipping away and you keep taking pieces of the street from cars. And you just have to stand by that decision and you have to talk about why that decision is good. Shout out there to Anthony Weiner, who uh, famously yes. told uh, Mayor Michael Bloomberg before blow up one that uh, he, as mayor, he was going to tear up your uh, – he was going to rip up every lanes. one of your fucking bike lanes. Yes. Dave, I, I, let, me, let me ask you though. Um, as I'm hearing you say this and, and putting in your call to, uh, to, to action and sustained action, mm-hmm. I, I, I try to put my head around – are you a street blog? Is this journalism? Is this advocacy? Is there a difference here? Um, I think that most people and would probably call streets blog advocacy journalism. Um, you know, I I think that most of my journalism in general has been that, whether I'm at streets blog or or whatever I'm writing about, especially when you're doing local news. At least from my perspective. I live here, so when I'm reporting on things that are these kind of big issues, certainly, you know, what you're going to say that I have a, a self-interest in being alive on my bike, I'm guilty, I guess. It is advocacy in the sense that I think that, and and data shows that cars kill people and bikes don't. So if Why we want isn't to- the NTA speaking up about this, speaking of advocacy? I was thinking about this because mm-hmm. they have these new ads up where they're like, pay your fare. We don't want to have you get arrested or have to pay a real big ticket. Mm-hmm. They don't have their own police force, right? Sure. And the police have not been very concerned with, with fare evasion. evasion for the best, I think. And yes, uh, yes. they're upset. But but back in the day, the, uh, the Elevated Express and the Subway Sun, which were like the fake papers, you know, like the house ads that mm-hmm. they still have, they'd put up. They used to go off on this. It's like automobiles killed 739 people last year. Trains killed zero. You know, who are you with? And look at all this congestion. And it is sort of striking to me, shout out to our MTA board member listeners, that as the, this issue has gotten more attention and cars have stopped having sort of complete political dominance over streets, mm-hmm. or at least it, that dominance is being contested. The trains, who back when they were, uh, you know, had independent operators, would rail against cars, have been totally silent. Yeah, I I couldn't tell you why uh, the MTA doesn't kind of make a culture war out of it. I mean, I can tell you that since the governor controls the MTA and the governor is a car guy, it would be kind of strange, man. you know. Yeah, I mean, I, what I will never forget was earlier this year uh, the press release where it was Governor Cuomo is going to tear down the West Side Highway, leading a pack of Nissan 50Z sports cars, <laughs> and it's like you can't be the climate change guy and and say you're driving down the West Side Highway with 50 sports cars. Those those two things are just not compatible. They're not, and so you know our car guy governor who is still sitting on a on the bill to legalize 
uh, e-bikes statewide because he says he has safety concerns that no safety advocate has ever brought to him. When you when you ask him who are these safety advocates who say they badly want you to put a helmet requirement on these uh, on these e-bike riding laws as opposed to you know at least letting it be up to every city that puts in a program. They don't have them for you because transportation alternatives does not, and they're the biggest ones, biking public project. These aren't places that say, we want to make sure that you're forcing people to wear helmets because helmets are, not to go off on a tangent, but helmets are not something that guarantee people's safety. Studies show that drivers won't give you as much space on the road when they go past you because they think that person's wearing a helmet, they're protected so I can drive closer to them. Shout out to the NFL and the boxing, which has similar issues with with nominal protections that that allow for obviously dangerous circumstances to to continue. Yeah. You know, the issue is less, you know. Alex is making a face about that. Do not advocate for not wearing helmets. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not don't wear a helmet. It's that helmets on cyclists are not this end-all, be-all safety guarantee that they that the the things that will keep you safe are not having to share a road with cars in a way that puts you having to you know go around a car that's uh, double parked in the bike lane or somebody just doors you because the unfortunate reality is when somebody hits you with a car and they're going 30 35 40 45 miles an hour you know with a car it's bad enough you're going to die even if you have a helmet on when a truck does it and there are so many instances of trucks this year killing cyclists you know this is it's the thing where fewer and fewer i think but in stories when cyclists are killed you always have some witness or the police and you know they weren't wearing a helmet well how fast was the fucking driver going nobody ever talks about that family podcast here sorry so what is the dutch reach I don't understand what that question is. It's just that. Uh, um, so the Dutch reach is a way that you open the door and it's uh, popularized. Oh, I saw it. Yeah. Okay. So, so, and it came back into the conversation because of the unfortunate uh, way that uh, the cyclist in Sunset Park, uh, M. Samello, which I think that's how you say her name, was killed uh, by a guy who just threw his door open without looking. Again, these are things where someone goes, oh, oops. That's a, you know, it's a crash. And because she then had to swerve out of the way, a Dutch reach is instead of just opening the door with your left hand, uh, you know, closest to the wheel or close to the driver's side door, you use it with your right hand so that you're looking over your shoulder when you open the door. And that makes sure that someone is not right behind you, uh, you know, coming right up on Mm -hmm. your car and you don't door them, uh, which is being hit uh, with someone's door. It's happened to me a few times. It's very unpleasant. It's happened to every cyclist. It sucks. And the best thing you can say is it sucks and it was unpleasant because we've had three cyclists, I think, this year who have been killed either as a direct result of the uh, dooring. Like I said, the first one this year was someone who was doored on 3rd Avenue in Brooklyn and just knocked into traffic. There was a 16-year-old in Borough Park, uh, Yisrael Schwartz, who was doored and thrown under a truck when he got hit by the door. And M, who got around the door, but in going around the door that was thrown open in her path, which is illegal, by the way, completely not legal to do. You can't do that. It's it's against the law. It's rarely enforced, but it's against the law. So yeah, and so this is where right, I, right into a truck. where I'm asking. So when some of the research we were doing, you know, De Blasio and Adams, you know, were constantly talking about enforcing, enforcing with the NYPD, but 
we've also seen lots of pictures where the NYPD seem to be some of the culprits as well. So, I mean, de Blasio and Adams both say like, oh, well, the, we're going to, you know, make sure the NYPD PD enforces this and we'll put extra cops on, you know, the bike lanes to make sure that they enforce this. But part of that cultural shift is to help police officers understand that bike lanes actually exist. So where's this sort of NYPD enforcement coming from? Well, do they also get overtime for doing this? Like, I'm, I'm just sort of... I'm not sold on this enforcement piece with the NYPD. Uh, I think that you will find many, many cyclists are also not really sold on that. Um, it's also kind of a perverse thing where the mayor said, I think it was after the 15th cyclist died when he finally said, okay, you know, this is a, this is a crisis actually. So when when he first said, we're going to have the NYPD go out, we're doing a, a blitz on people double parked in bike lanes and then people who are just driving them do it. And and then he turned it into this is gonna be permanent. It's like, oh great, that's so cool. You're going to permanently tell the police to enforce the law. What a what like you're gonna tell them to also always give people tickets for running red lights? Like right. this is a new thing. Um but the issue with police, as you were saying, is they are notorious bike lane parkers. And it is the same thing that goes back to a placard abuse also where cops will just park wherever they want when they're off duty or where they give people, you know, a placard that, uh, you know, the mayor has given out tons of placards and that gives city employees this idea that you can just park wherever you want and that encourages driving. Shout and out on Twitter to, to placard, abuse. placard abuse, which just tracks yeah. all the placards and cars that are just sitting in bike lanes among in no parking sins. spots, in front of fire hydrants, mm-hmm. whatever. So, you know, police, and I don't know if you uh, have spoken to Steve Vaccaro about this ever uh, for the episode, or there's another lawyer, uh, Daniel Flanzig, who's talked to me about these things. Police training for traffic laws is basically non-existent. Uh, as Vicaro said well, it seems to me, like police training for chokehold seems to be non-existent it's, too. It's, it's I, I, a you lot know, of training that's happening. Yes, there, there's... Their, their training is bad in a lot of different things, uh, but but what I can tell you speaking to attorneys who specifically focus on uh, bike issues is that the assumption made by the NYPD is that, uh, as Steve Vaccaro has said to me, you have a driver's license, well, then you probably know the rules of the road and you're fine. And what happens in the reality of it is, A, you're as entitled as anybody else uh, who drives a car and now you're in a cop car, so you're going to put it in a bike lane and if somebody goes – Hey, can you not do that? You're going to go, you know, go fuck yourself, buddy. Like, right. uh, and the other thing is I wrote a story about this uh, a couple weeks ago. There was a woman riding down Flatbush Avenue who got doored by somebody and she said, you know, this is like the third time this has happened to me this year and I decided I wasn't going to take it anymore. So when this guy wouldn't give me his insurance, I called the cops. And when the police came, the first thing they told me was, we're writing you a summons because you're biking down Flatbush Avenue and there's no bike lane which is not a law. You can ride your bike anywhere that traffic is allowed to go uh, with, you know, weird exceptions on the, like, TBTA bridges. Right. But they don't uh, know the law. But so they their first instinct was not, okay, ma'am, we're going to work on this. It was, you know, you're riding on a street that to us is dangerous, uh, so we're giving you a summons because there's no bike lane here. And that happens. There's, uh, you know, there was a video that was going around of cops who – told a guy who they pulled over, you're not wearing a helmet and we're giving you a ticket for that. That's not a law. That It's a law for, for people who are under 14. And every spring, it happens again and again that uh, the police will, you know, ticket. There's always a story, at least one story, of police pulling somebody over and saying, you're not wearing a helmet, we're giving you a summons 
And these are things involving police in the Vision Zero idea is like you want them at like the the I don't know if I would the 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 bottom of the list. I don't want to say bottom of the pyramid because that's the base, and I don't want to say the top of the pyramid because then that's it's like the like the food pyramid. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to have a lot of sweets. Like that's at the top of the food pyramid. Enforcement on Vision Zero. I think I'm ripping off a Doug Gordon line. He's a at Brooklyn Spoke bike activist. You're not going to arrest your way to Vision Zero. It's all about, like you said, it's a culture change. It is a street design change. I, you know, I largely agree with you. The problem is there are too many cars. But the approach of slowly taking things away from cars, which is what we've been doing, uh, has aggravated traffic, but has it decreased car ownership? Well, it hasn't, and in part because we haven't done anything big. You know, you haven't you take a, you take away a few parking spots to put in a protected bike lane. All people are going to do is go, "Oh, I, I'm so mad at these these cyclists. They're the ones who did it." Like, you know, people aren't going to get rid of their cars. There, there are Upper West Side people are talk are raising hell after Madison Leiden dies on Central Park West. Because someone was doing a thing that, by the way, the mayor has still not backed down on. Oh, well, you know, if you just pull into the bike lane to drop someone off to, to take out your groceries, then you're okay. Uh, as opposed to telling people never do this. Because what happened to Madison Leiden? A cab pulled over into the bike lane to drop somebody off. She went around the car and she gets hit by a garbage truck and killed. And this is something that the mayor has still not said. You can never go in a bike lane. It is unacceptable. But the big things that people – that you can try to do, you can put fees on street on street parking. Street parking doesn't have to be free. People act like, like car storage is this God-given right that you can put your car on the street for free and, and no one can ever tell you otherwise, you know, except if you get a ticket for uh, alternate side parking. But you can say, you know what? It costs you a thousand bucks a month, a year to to park on New York City streets on your block, uh, and we're going to have residential parking permits. So, by the way, all you people with North Carolina and Ohio and Pennsylvania licenses who seem to be on these blocks uh, seven days a week, despite having uh, cars that are registered in other states, you're going to register your car in New York, and you're going to pay the higher insurance premiums that we have here. And that's a thing to also would encourage people to get rid of their cars because you really crack down on these things. It's an insurance scam. Why, like, what are we letting people do this for? You know, do we just let people do Medicaid scams all the time because we go, well, it's just, you know, you need, you need to do it. You have to. You need it for your kids. It's crazy. The things that we let people get away with just because we all think that you need cars to live is, is out of control. It's insane. You'd never build a society... Like this, if you built a city from scratch starting today, you would never do this. Shout out to Google, which is one of several tech companies effectively trying to create their own frightening dystopian future cities. And no doubt, uh, car, cars, if you were planning a city now, would be different. Dave. Well, I blame big, big Robert close. Moses. Yeah, and, oh, he has a, he had a huge. I blame Robert Moses yeah, for, for oh, all of this. Absolutely. It goes, it, it definitely goes back to that. And I will, I will just will say, you know, Adam, you brought up this idea of doing something big. We used to knock down people's houses to put up highways. We used to just knock down entire neighborhoods. And and now we take a few parking spots for someone for to from, from a neighborhood to put in a bike lane. And people raise incredible amounts of hell as if they've never heard of something like this happening before. You know, like I just – they compared Jeanette Sadiq Khan to Robert Moses 
And it's like, when did she eminent domain somebody's neighborhood to put up a bike highway? Like Bloomberg, I, Bloomberg commissioner who created uh, pedestrian zones in Times Square yes. and elsewhere and pushed to sort of expand actually protected uh, bike access, uh, uh, generating great resistance. Yeah. Dave, big, big close. Keep going in that coda moment you've been at. Who are the politicians that might help? What are the policies that might help? Could congestion pricing help? What is the positive vision for the future so that no accident, we can have less crashes? Uh, So congestion pricing will more than likely help unless they manage to like put 6,000 different exceptions to the rule. You know, cops don't have to pay it. And, oh, you know, if you're a contractor who's coming uh, four times a year, you don't have to pay it uh, from the fifth on. Like as long as we have congestion pricing that is real congestion pricing that both We, we have mayor, a long history here, right? And we now have a legislative agreement to start congestive pricing. Yes. But it's basically just a zone and a dollar amount. Yes. So as soon as that happened – Police officers, nurses, everyone else is yeah, like, everyone uh, do mother. I have to pay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This massive fee to do this, what's up? And whoever doesn't pay, then obviously what other people have to pay gets higher. So the devil as ever is going to be in the as details. And we will be the first American city to have this. As few exceptions as possible. None, frankly, is is the starting point and should be the ending point. Um, and that's been kind of an irritating thing that the, both the governor and the mayor have never talked about congestion pricing as a way to get people to drive less. You know, when the mayor talked about his millionaire's tax to fund the MTA instead, I understand that he has a millionaire's tax for everything, but that doesn't get people to drive less. And and there's a reason you call it congestion pricing because you are pricing traffic because traffic has externalities that hurt people, smog, people dying, people getting hurt by cars. So congestion pricing will be a huge step in conjunction with that. If Andy Byford really can use the fast forward plan and the which relies in huge part on making the buses better. Uh, if we have better bus service all over the city, that'll be huge. Uh, as far as people who are not running for president, uh, so they are not, you know, checked out even as they're, you know, I don't know, the mayor says this green wave plan that he came out with is going to uh, give us 80 miles of protected bike lanes uh, per year uh, by uh, 20. 21, I think. Uh, I forget the exact number off the top of my head. But, oh, I thought it was 2025 or something like that. Well, there's going to be a fully protected bike lane network by 2030. That's that was the that was his larger goal. Which you know, well, he's not even going to be the mayor in in a couple of years. Um, but that would that would be that'd <laughs> there's be an, some argument as to whether or not he's the mayor right now. Sure, yes. <laughs> uh, but you know, it'd be nice a fully protected uh, bike lane network. So the Greenwave plan is an idea that's good if they follow through on all of it, uh, but we've heard this before, and they've failed to reach their goal for protected bike lane miles per year before. And sometimes when they put in what they say is a protected bike lane, like on, say, Grant Street in Williamsburg, all it is is like car lengths of uh, bollards, like pla- like not even real bollards, just plastic. It's cheaper than these plastic cups, and people just park in them. So anyway – what the, city council members are like leading the charge? Antonio Reynoso is great. He's my favorite by okay. by far. He's a guy. He was before Corey Johnson was talking about we're going to break car culture. Antonio Reynoso was going around talking about this too. And Reynoso has and uh, he represents what he represents uh, parts of Williamsburg and Bushwick, uh, and he has walked the walk. He owns a bike. He does not drive everywhere. Uh, he will be running for both president in uh, 2021, which will be interesting because, you know, right now we have kind of, in Eric Adams, 
a president who sometimes rides a bike, uh, who will take public transit, but also does drive. But you know, and Adams, also greatly supports the NYPD. Yes, um, and Adams has been a friend to cycling policy. He recognizes it, especially more than Marty Markowitz. Uh, it was all a big joke to Marty Markowitz. Mm -hmm. The culture shift that you were bringing up before has happened in the sense that we went from Markowitz, who rode a tricycle into a State of the Borough speech because bikes were all a big joke to him, uh, has gone to Eric Adams, who says, you know, this is an important thing. We can't have people who keep getting killed. Mm -hmm. But Antonio Reynoso, breaking car culture, it's been huge. I loved it that he started talking about it. Um, and now Corey Johnson has taken up that mantle and he has his big bill about making a master plan for the streets that would put in 50 miles, I think, of protected bike lanes per year, a lot of bus lanes, uh, pedestrian plazas, like a whole giant thing. And he it's it's a it's great in theory. It's it's good to tell the Department of Transportation, you're going to do this and we're going to put benchmarks in and we're going to, uh, you know, actually work to get these things done. That would probably have to wait until we have a mayor. Corey Johnson, because even though the bill is in front of the city council right now, we, even if they passed it and it was veto proof, it's not as if de Blasio would go, OK, I believe in a comprehensive solution for street planning now, mm -hmm. because now that you're forcing me to do this, if he doesn't believe in it now, he's not going to do it. Uh, there's another bill to establish something that's called the office of the bike mayor. The office of the bike mayor would be kind of like the office of the nightmare. Uh, where they work with all the city agencies to make sure that the nightlife in the city like goes off kind of without a hitch and make sure Department of Buildings, NYPD, whatever, we're all talking, we all understand what we need to do to make this work. That would be the same instance. The bike mayor would, you know, just kind of collaborate with all the agencies to make sure that when you are doing things that could affect cycling, we're going to make sure that you're not just leaving it out. Like we just passed a bill this year to make it so that when you're doing road work, and you have to do road work in a bike lane, that you have to build out something to provide safe passage for cyclists. It just passed this year. Like, you need someone who's going to spearhead all of those efforts. And the mayor's unfortunate reaction to somebody putting that bill forward was to say, uh, this, his statement was, you know, the, from his flack was, well, the mayor already is the bike mayor, which is bullshit. Sir, sir. Just, just not just doesn't comport with reality. Um, you know, as far as other 2021 people, Scott Stringer, uh, he's been big on mass transit, uh, which, you know, is the thing that helps break car culture. Um, and he's been trying to make it so that the uh, it's easier for people who live in the city to take advantage of the LIRR. Mm -hmm. uh, he wants cheaper fares on that so that if you're traveling within the city from any of the stations in the Bronx, Queens, right. uh, whatever, where have you, in Brooklyn, it's cheaper for you to get around that way, which is a great idea. It would encourage people to take the LIRR. Um, right. Now, and before I mention Berlin, as far as bike culture and like a positive bike culture mm -hmm. and, and Bogota, which has like a positive bike and bus culture, are there any other international cities that you all are looking to? Oh, um, I mean, you know, London, guidance? Amsterdam, mm -hmm. these are uh, not, not really any place that is in America, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. You know, like the problem with New York, at least as far as America is concerned, is we're doing better than everybody. We have the most cyclists and we have the most bike lanes wow. and we have most of the bigger ideas. We're going to be the first ones to do congestion pricing. Uh, but and, and New York, I think, built the first car protected bike lanes, like the parking protected bike lanes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, unfortunately in America, this is this is where – 
this is where we're at. It's it's the best that it uh, gets uh, is here, where 18 people have been killed and people feel uncomfortable, increasingly uncomfortable riding bikes on the streets just because we haven't tried to work in reducing the amount of cars as we are expanding the amount of bikes. We don't have leaders who say, you know what? It's a great thing to get on a bike. The mayor doesn't ever talk about this. Corey Has Johnson he talked about it a little bit. Bike, the mayor? He was seen on a bike uh, at uh, a couple of different instances, though at Transportation Alternatives has essentially put out a challenge to him. Ride a bike with us. See what it's like, man, because you keep you know, you refuse to see what it's like. And people were asking him this at the Green Wave press conference, and he had to start going, you know, uh, I'm not going to get into my personal history of riding a bike, but I can assure you I've ridden a bike. You know, like put this guy in Flatbush Avenue with me and he can see what happens when you put the speed limit up to 30 and people are going past you at 45. Get him on the Cross Bay Bridge with me. And then he can talk about, you know, uh, he knows what it's like to be a cyclist uh, in New York City. Dave, thank you for coming in and uh, classing up the joint just a little bit. F-A-Q. Welcome to In the Courts with Victoria Bekempis. She's our favorite. Hi, Victoria. Hey, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Today we're going to talk about R. Kelly in the courts. So I think a lot of people probably remember the Jay-Z R. Kelly uh, Best of Both Worlds tour that broke up early. Um, I, however, had forgotten about the Jay-Z featuring R. Kelly single, Guilty Until Proven Innocent, Mm -hmm. um, which is really – Atrocious, and it's not like uh, the stuff around R. Kelly was such a secret at the time. Um, and Jay Z has been quieter than a church mouse with all of these indictments. He mumbled one thing a couple months ago, but that's for sure. This first set of lyrics, I'm gonna skip the uh, the more obscene part, is actually Jay Z. Um, although it sounds a lot like uh, some of Kelly's issues at the moment. Got lame bitches trying to fuck with my case. And then he says uh, what he does to those uh, people. Uh, Honey just mad. I got her fucking replaced. And then later in the verse, he says, uh, now, how do y'all equate your pain? Would it all go away if I just bought you a range? I got one or two of those. Nothing going to change. And then R. Kelly comes in with the uh, hook. Jigga Kelly, not guilty. Said Jigga Kelly, not guilty. I got all my mommies and I got all my mommies. You know, tell me what you want from me. Dudes can't touch me. Kelly, not guilty. Oh, oh this man. God. As someone who went to high school in Illinois, we I mean, it was an open secret that R. Kelly dated high school girls. Everyone knew he was there at the let out. I mean, everyone knew that he had police officers on his payroll. Everyone knew that he was just a pretty gross human being. And it seems as though the universe has waited a few decades to catch up with him. Everyone knew that, you know, people who accused him, their parents would the all of a sudden. The thing. Well, I mean, but like Aaliyah. But people's dads would all of a sudden be put on his albums, right? So the payout would be if he sexually molested, a.k.a. raped a girl, um, all of a sudden her dad would be listed on one of his hit songs as like a guitarist or a producer. And that was a way that you would be paid out in perpetuity. Um, and it was just sort of under. It's like the month of like it's it's the year. It's the epic. It's a century of just like horrible dudes, like yeah. you know, raping children. The payout thing is actually um, a pretty big part of the Chicago federal indictment against R. Kelly and two of his associates for allegedly R. Kelly 
was said to have, as you said, you know, facilitated these payouts to keep people quiet. So, again, very interesting that, you know, this is an open secret. The same way Weinstein and Epstein and Trump are open secrets. But, I mean, I think it's also interesting where I think R. Kelly needs to be, you know, in prison for a very, very long time if all these things are actually true. But I think we also need to ask about all these people, women included, who have aided and abetted. I mean, we keep talking about this with Epstein. but It's like police officers who were on his payroll were tipping off Kelly and his associates. So each time they went to raid a home, whether it's Atlanta or Chicago, they'd get there and no one was there. And surprise, surprise, we can't get our Kelly. So, I mean, I feel like all those individuals need to be on the stand as well at some point in time. So what's going on in New York, Victoria? Brooklyn, right? Brooklyn. Yes. So federal prosecutors in Brooklyn are charging R. Kelly in a five-count indictment. And the charges include racketeering and four Man Act counts. So just backing up a little bit from the legal ease, what federal prosecutors in Brooklyn are saying is that Kelly basically used his musical career, his touring, even like promoting his brand, basically using that to allegedly run a criminal enterprise to lure women and girls into his orbit and then allegedly engage in sexual impropriety with them. Are they trying to get him on like any kind of human trafficking? So this is a a very good point that you bring up. Well, allegations in the Brooklyn indictment speak to things that have effectively a sex trafficking vibe. That sounds like a terrible way to put it, but I think that that's kind of the most accurate way, you know, luring women in, you know, mistreating them. The actual counts are not sex trafficking counts. So, for example, the Man Act counts he faces, he is accused of bringing a woman, facilitating her to come across state lines and engage. Was she over 18? Yes. Yes. This woman was over 18. Against her will or? No, with her will. Not physically bringing her, but, you know, enabling her to travel and then uh, engaging in an illegal sexual activity. And that illegal sexual activity is the alleged transmission of an STI to this woman. Now, in New York State, so it's it's a complicated uh, thing, but in New York State, um, you can be guilty of reckless endangerment under state law if you knowingly infect a person with an STI. And I'm not exactly sure where state law comes in if you're just reckless with sex and infect someone. I'm a little unclear on that. But basically, the federal law, the Man Act, is they're saying, hey, he, you know, got this woman to cross state lines and then engaged in this illegal sexual activity that's illegal under state law. So, yes, these things seem a lot like, you know, sex trafficking, but we have to be very careful here because he's not at this time charged with sex trafficking. But it's just the crossing of state lines and then assault or illegal illegal transmission of an STI sounds... Transmission sounds weird, like a radio frequency. But either way, uh, I digress. So what else is going on like this week? So there's a new place that just brought charges on him, right? Like Minnesota, was it? Right. So the story I read last week was the battle between Chicago, Brooklyn, and Atlanta because he's been posted up in Atlanta for quite a few years renting mansions and 
having women held possibly against their will. That's what their families were alleging. And then I saw a brief story about Minnesota wanting to bring charges against him. Yeah. But I think that, you know, all of the charges aside, and there are many state and federal charges going on right now, I think one of the most interesting things um, from being at court on Friday where he did plead not guilty was seeing the outpouring of support for R. Kelly at the courthouse. Now, by my count, there were more than two dozen supporters in the courtroom. And, you know, a couple of them had, you know, shirts to the effect of unmute R. Kelly, you know. um, Free R. Kelly. Stuff like that. Now, are these a lot of – remember when we did the El Chapo episode and you talked a little bit about like tourists, like big case tourists. Is that kind of like what's going on here too? People coming to the courthouse and like sitting in? These were not just casual, hey, there's this big thing happening at court. I've never seen a celebrity in court observers. These were outright supporters of R. Kelly. I mean to With the – T-shirts. Uh, several had T-shirts, yes. I mean just to be even, you know, more clear about the level of support – when I was in the hall waiting to get into the courtroom, there was actually a group of women in a circle that were praying for R. Kelly. Well, one of his alleged victims met him many, many years ago during one of his first series of trials. Yes, that he is that is 14 correct. 14 years old and she was a fan and essentially he directed his goons to get her information and um, they engaged in sexual acts. Afterwards, and she met him in the courthouse. Uh, yes, she met as part him of like a group who al- was coming to support him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she allegedly met him during the the criminal case uh, in Chicago, the, the old criminal case. And um, so, yes, you had a, a group of women who were huddled in prayer in the hall. That's had- got to be an insane scene. I mean, Surreal. it was it was very very interesting to see, and I talked to some of these women. Um, one of the women who was there, she actually made crowns with supportive messages for R. Kelly and for she, him to wear, or for them to for wear. For them to wear, and I didn't see. I mean, maybe paper it crowns, happened, metal crowns, a paper. I believe I didn't touch. I don't think I touched the crowns. I can't remember. I mean, I looked at them, you know, in detail, um, and I can't. I can't – I mean, it's possible they put them on and then took them off in the courtroom. I, you know, did not see. But I talked to her and she made a total of 24 crowns, which she plans on taking to the next criminal proceeding that's happening in Chicago. And she is not from Chicago. Um, I don't have my notes in front of me. I believe that this woman – is from Pennsylvania, actually. So she's planning on traveling to go support R. Kelly. So this is the type of outpouring that's happening. And in addition, his two live-in girlfriends were also present. How old are they? Over 18, probably? I believe so. I would would hope that you would roll up to the court with over 18. But one can never assume with R. Kelly what, like, I mean, men... In this particular era, political men with the, like, brazen disregard publicly. It's not behind closed doors anymore. Between Trump, Epstein, it's like this just brazen disregard for any 
respect of women whatsoever that I wouldn't be surprised if R. Kelly rolled up with two underage living girlfriends. I just wouldn't be surprised. Not that that's happening. Let's make it very clear. FAQ is not saying that's what happened. But I'm just saying I wouldn't be shocked. The other really interesting thing is in talking to the supporters um, and just trying to, you know, asking questions. And again, I'm just I just report facts. I'm, you know, don't have any impetus or desire to take one side or the other. You know, my whole thing is like I talk to people like I figure out, hey, why are you here? And a common theme in these discussions was that, A, it's the parents' fault. You know, where were the parents? You know, if their daughters are going and being with R. Kelly and they're not 18, well, it's the parents' fault. Why aren't the parents intervening? You know, um, I can't. Steubenville, a girl gets raped, and everyone's argument is why hasn't she been educated on how not to get drunk at a frat party? And one woman actually told me, you know, if. A 14-year-old can get charged with murder and convicted of murder. If a 14-year-old can commit murder, a 14-year-old can also decide when, you know, she can spread her legs. Like spread her legs was the phrase that was used. There was a quote, spread her legs? Um, I mean there's only so much room. Mm. Well, I mean this is from a supporter. I mean there's only so much room to, you know, get things into an article. But, you know, among among the things that were just, you know, for lack of space outtakes, you know. Are the defense attorneys being careful with their language or like – Defense attorneys have taken the position um, that, you know, this stems from uh, groupie remorse. Right. Yes. Yeah. And that disgruntled groupies, right? Yeah, that you know, having you know women in your orbit coming backstage, et cetera, et cetera. That's not a criminal enterprise. That's you know just the life of a traveling musician. I think they they even tried to use what was it Van Halen as an example. They they pulled out some quotes from someone's autobiography to essentially explain that this is just kind of. Uh, celebrity musician rock star. This is what defense life. attorneys were doing. Yes, and so yeah. saying it's like, well, we can look at either it was like Van Halen or one of these, you know, sort of glam rock. Yeah, so it's child like, listen, rapist. his yeah. autobiography says like we used to have girls in every city. We knew what their purpose was. They knew what their purpose was. So he's making that argument of this is just groupie culture, and these girls are. Uh, disgruntled that they never got to say, like, wifey status, essentially. Yeah, and also specifically with the STI, well, we don't know what the strain of STI is. We don't know where it came from. We don't have evidence that proves that it's of the same origin that this woman purportedly has. And, I, I you know, it's... Um, and, and, you know, do we even know if R. Kelly has an STI? So this is the stuff that's coming up. Is it too soon to know whether or not some of the off-duty police officers who worked his shows and his parties, will any of them be subpoenaed in these various cities? Because LOL. ostensibly they would have seen things? We can barely get our own vice squad on, like... I mean, I don't know the answer to that question. I would I would surmise that, you know, anything is possible. I don't exactly know, you know, what the status is in terms of, you know, starting to interview, you know, witnesses in the various cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I don't know the I mean, answer we did to that. Pros- we are prosecuting Paz Ludwig. Ludwig is his last name? The Queen's ex-vice cop who ran like a brothel with his wife. Mm-hmm. So... We're prosecuting him, which means, like, it's not completely outside of the pale that in New York we would maybe hold some police officers uh, I'm just curious. I mean, Paz seems like he's the principal. The under the off-duty cops would 
be more like tertiary individuals. But I would assume that if you're seeing young girls and you're off duty, but you're still working and collecting a paycheck, one would think that you would still have your duty as a CPD, Chicago Police Department officer or NYPD or, or Atlanta police, whatever it may be, to see something and say something even if you were off duty and, and just making personal money. Right. Um, and so I would think that if you're really serious about putting him away, then those people would, should come on in. But I feel like that's a thread once you start pulling. Oh, man. The entire garment's going to, yeah. I don't know Unravel. how long to go with oh, that no. weird. Well, the entire garment comes <laughs> The entire garment. No. Jeez. Um, all right. So we got to wrap up in the courts. By the way, in some internet scrolling that I was just doing, it looks like there aren't actually any official charges in Atlanta, which I think I got wrong. Victoria, is there anything else about this case in Brooklyn that we should know before we wrap it up? I think that, you know, the rest of it, uh, we're just going to wait to see which jurisdiction charges R. Kelly first. Is it going to be Chicago feds, Chicago state, you know, Brooklyn feds or, you know, now Minnesota? So it's going to be we're just going to kind of wait and see how the case progresses. And we should expect to see more like of these like prayer circle women following him from state to state to support him while he's like in the courtroom? I would I would say so because, you know, from everything I read about what's going on elsewhere is that they, you know, supporters are a constant presence at these proceedings. Interesting. All right. Well, thank you for having me on. As per usual, it was a pleasure. F-A-Q. FAQ NYC, a production of Racket Media, is supported by a grant from Sybil, a blockchain company reinventing the economics of journalism, and listeners like you. We are headquartered and recorded this week at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research. Thank you to Dave Cologne of Streets Blog and to Victoria Bekempis. Our executive producer is Alex Brooklyn, and Adam Kamara recorded and mixed today's episode. If you don't know, check out the FAQ. Ciao. Late-breaking, in an interview with Sean Hannity, Mayor de Blasio had this to say. If they're law-abiding, can they have a gun? You are trying to set up a reality where you get to paint a picture on your own terms. It doesn't work that way. Mr. Mayor, those guys over there... Calling other people impotent? Really? Get the fuck out of here. Are you kidding me? He must be so terrible in bed. I mean, did you... (laughs) See, all he wants is dicks. You, you can just tell who's bad in bed. You can just tell. What is, wait, who's obsessed with dicks? Cuomo. 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 Cuomo always has weird sex stuff going on. Did All the like, time. That <laughs> time that he called the uh, JFK airport terminal sexy, he was like, how do you... Wait, the, which, the new TWA yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah where he, and he was like, it's, a, it's sexy, but like, how do you touch it? And it was like, it's, it was something along those lines. It was this weird... It is a sexy physical, terminal. Or, but uh, I mean, it is smooth like an egg. Right, but he wasn't like, it's like an egg. He was like, it's like sexy. Like a woman's behind. It's like a woman's it, behind. It's sexy, and then he kind of like Japan, trailed you know off I mean? in a rambling like. Like, I don't know how to pleasure it. Yeah, basically. <laughs> That's essentially what kind of, that was <laughs> like. <laughs>